Uh, I want to tell you guys, a, uh, a, this is a true story. It's not my story, but it is a true story. It's about a couple that I had met a while ago. It was actually about a decade ago. Uh, there was a guy who was working uh, for a firm, and he got talking to another guy at his firm, and they got talking about faith. And uh, this guy and his girlfriend did not attend any church, but they wanted to try a church. And so they got talking about their church experiences. And uh, he said that, it, that he and his girlfriend had tried going to a local church. And because he had gone to church growing up, he went to the ch kind of church that he went to when he was growing up. And he said it was what he had expected. And he remembered then why he didn't go to church. Uh, after he had gone to church with his girlfriend. Uh, you know, he was sharing his experience with his friend at work over lunch. And then his friend suggested, you should give Hope a try. Uh, curiously, surprisingly, interestingly enough, his friend did not go to Hope. Uh, his friend went to another church and he said, you should give Hope a try because my church will be like that experience that you just had. But I heard Hope is different. So you should give Hope a try. Uh, he knew me and knew about Hope and knew uh, what was going on at Hope. And so he was inspired to invite his friend to go to Hope, even though he went somewhere else. So his friend took him up on the offer. So his friend and this, this guy and his girlfriend came to Hope. It was a little over a decade ago about. And uh, he and his girlfriend attended the service. They liked the music. Uh, they liked the comfortable, comfortable atmosphere. They were surprised that you could have coffee and that you could bring it into church. They were really excited about that. Uh, they liked... Um, uh, they liked that uh, we had different people engaged in part of the worship time, and they started attending weekly. I still know this guy, and he has a vital faith now. He doesn't attend Hope any longer because he moved away, but he still marks his time at Hope as an important time in his life and a time that that kind of uh, uh, rekindled a faith that he had had when he was a small child but had lost somewhere along the line. All because of a conversation at work about faith. So I tell you that also because I want to share another part of this true story. Is that a few months after they started attending Hope... Uh, he felt comfortable enough to tell me some of the details about their experience while they were visiting Hope. And the details are fun. Uh, like I said, he used to attend a church weekly and he, uh, because his parents forced him to go. And his girlfriend had never been to church in her entire life. So he had grown up going to church. She had never been to church her entire life. So he was the one in this couple who was experienced. And so before they arrived, he tried to prep his girlfriend for what they would find when they got to church. He told her that people would be dressed up very nicely. He told her that there'll be times where you kneel and other times where you stand. You just kind of follow the crowd and you'll know what you're supposed to do. They'll pass out a book that we'll use to sing songs from. And it will be very, very quiet, except when the organ is playing. <laughs> so those are all the things that he prepared his girlfriend for before they experienced their first Sunday at Hope. 
Then throughout the hope service, so when they walked in, they found that it didn't look like a typical church. There were no crosses. He had warned her about the crosses as well. There were no crosses. Uh, there was coffee, which they didn't know what to do with that because that wasn't part of the pre uh, uh, pre uh, 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 preparation for the for the for the. Uh, uh, for the visit, uh, she kept asking questions throughout the service. And this is his retelling of this story. She kept saying, what's happening now? What's happening now? What are the drums for? Why is there a movie screen? Who is the person talking to us wearing jeans? It was me. And his answer, he said, each time was, I don't know. I don't know that either. This is different than any church I've attended before. So they, I told you, they enjoyed it. On the way out to the car, she said this, I really enjoyed church. And he said, me too. But I'm not sure it counted. And she said, she'd never gone to church before, she said, what do you mean counts? What's being counted? And he said, I'm not sure if what happened counts as church. And he told me that story about a decade ago, and I've never forgotten it. What counts? And I said to him, I don't think anybody is counting, but if they are, it counts. So we're starting a new series today that we're calling What Counts? How do we measure success? What counts in church world and what counts as followers of Jesus? Somebody is always counting, it seems, right? And the important, the important question is, what counts? Pastors, when we're together, to be honest, this is what pastors end up talking about. We talk about butts, bucks, buildings, and budgets. It's kind of the things that we start talking about. There are lots of things that be, can be counted at church, right? We can count how many people are here. We can count how many kids are here. We can count how much money. We can count the size of the budget, how many people are converted, how many members. And there are people who are doing the counting right now. There are people in the back who have an official job of counting to make sure how many people are here. And there's some, right, Corey? He's got the paper and look at it, he's got he's got his paper and pen out doing it right now. And there's people in the back who are counting the number of kids, and then there are people here who are counting to see if your people are here, right? And everyone's counting, and there's always things that are being counted. And those are all good questions about counting things, except when the only questions are about the count. What if there are other questions to ask as well so what if there are other questions that counts more than the questions that are being counted and so we're going to talk about what counts now paul in his letter to timothy and we're using timothy as our background for uh or kind of our framework for this series Tim, he shares some really important matters things that are vital in a community of faith but before we get to Timothy, we're going to look at a story from Acts. And this, this story is really just to set up the series, just to kind of give some, uh, an idea that people have been counting the wrong things or have been asking the wrong questions uh, uh, for, for quite some time. And so we're going to look at this thought from Acts, and then we're going to look at two thoughts from Timothy. Uh, so some background real quick to this story from Acts is this is after the resurrection, and so the disciples have, have uh, gone through this uh, quite an experience of 
thinking that Jesus was the Messiah, then imagining that he wasn't because he was crucified on a cross, and then discovering that he's resurrected and he's even more than they had ever imagined. And so now this resurrected Jesus is leading them to this next part of their journey. And verse 6 says, So when the apostles who were with Jesus, or the disciples when they were with Jesus, they kept asking him. And I, and I imagine that they kept asking him, like, when are you going to? When are you going to? When are you going to? You ever been with kids in the car, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we? That's kind of what I imagine the disciples were doing, because they're really jazzed right now, because this is, remember, they're, they're going from highs and lows, and so they've gone from Jesus is the Messiah to, wow, we might die too, to now Jesus is resurrected, and they're like, wow, this this is unstoppable, and they're like, when is it going to happen? When are we going to get there? And their question is, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And they were asking, I would argue, the wrong question. The disciples were expecting this literal political kingdom, and they're saying, hey, the time went, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? And notice who they're, what the, the they're saying, is, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom. They're asking the wrong question. They're expecting Jesus to do something. And I love Jesus' response in verse 7. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are saying, are you, are you, are you, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Is this when it happens? Are you going to do it? And Jesus says, no, you are, you are, you are. Notice, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. You are going to do something. And so it begs the question, how do 12 people, really 11, because Judas is no longer in the picture. But how do 12 people turn something into a worldwide movement? I would argue that Jesus practiced multiplication thinking. And there's so much we could say about what it means to have multiplication thinking. But if you notice in the story that they went from 12, and then there's reference to 72... And then there's another reference later to hundreds after the resurrection. And then there's reference to thousands early in Acts. And then it becomes a worldwide movement. It's multiplication thinking. Jesus didn't think the mission was going to happen just through him during his time on earth. He thought it would happen through others who would equip others who would equip still others. There's this multiplication thinking idea that Jesus had in place. And it's the only possible way that 12 people could turn something into a worldwide movement is through multiplication. Now I know there's math teachers here and I'm going to talk about addition and multiplication and i'm going to get it all wrong i'm sure i don't want to know how i should have said it differently just letting you know that up front we're going to use it in theological ways not in real math ways okay kevin so 
Multiplication thinking is part of Paul's challenge to Timothy as well. This is this idea that this wasn't just something that Jesus suggested. I would say that this is a way that the church is designed to work, that we're designed to multiply. And I would also argue that, unfortunately, oftentimes the church has settled for addition instead of multiplication. And I think it might be because as someone who is not good at math, addition is easier. Multiplication is more challenging. But multiplication has exponential results and creates exponential growth. While addition is easier, the results are smaller. And so multiplication thinking is the way the church should be operating and thinking and imagining. And so Paul tells Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it's up on the screen, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So let me unpack that with this question first. Is the question I think we need to be asking ourselves based on 2 Timothy 2.2 is, who are you influencing? Who am I influencing? Now, the easy answer for that, and I was going to suggest you write these things down, but I want to first tell you the easy answer so that you can leave that one off the page. The easier answer is, oh, my family, right? You're influencing your kids, you're influencing... Uh, uh, the, the people who are closest to you. That, that's, that's the easy answer. So I'm going to tell you to throw that one away. All right? I assume you're influencing your children. But who are you influencing? In your neighborhoods, in your church, in your work world. How is it possible that two guys who are in the break room for lunch end up having a spiritual conversation that ends up with one gentleman suggesting you go to a church that he doesn't attend, but that he thinks his friend would enjoy? I think some investment had gone into that prior. Some conversations about life some conversations about what was going on in each man's life that led to my girlfriend and I are looking for a church. I heard you go to church. And then the response, yeah, but you wouldn't like my church. You would like that church. There was some influence taking place there in that break room in that office. But we're talking about multiplication here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It's up on the screen again, but notice I changed a little bit. It says, look at the bold. It says, you have heard me. Paul is saying, you've heard me, Timothy. Paul, you've heard me invest and influence in you. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to 
other trustworthy people. Paul says, Paul, Timothy, you've heard me teach these things. Now, Timothy, the things that I've taught you, I want you to teach them to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So Paul has taught something to Timothy, and Timothy is teaching that to trustworthy people, and those trustworthy people will pass it on to others. This is multiplication pattern that Paul is suggesting, that our work is not done until another person is able to make disciples of others. So this this idea of mentoring. It's this idea of experiential teaching. It's the idea that, that, that the spiritual life is caught, not taught that it's caught not taught uh if you noticed i have my um uh my university of kentucky bobblehead it sits in my office i decided to bring it with me not because kentucky beat auburn yesterday because they didn't uh they lost and it was embarrassing and i was disappointed and i was sad because i knew i was going to talk about kentucky and i wanted to say that they are the greatest but they're basically about average But what I do want to talk about Kentucky is that uh, I have been a Kentucky Wildcat fan for uh, decades. Uh, For decades, I have loved Kentucky Wildcat basketball and have always watched it and have always had T-shirts and those kinds of things. Kelly and I have had that same love, maybe not the same love, but we both have this love for the University of Kentucky and basketball. And we decided... I don't know if it was like a meeting where we voted on it, but there was a decision that we made that the courthouse, my last name is Court, and so we call ourselves the courthouse, that we decided that the courthouse was going to be a Kentucky Wildcat zone. And we were going to practice and believe in the Kentucky Wildcats. Whenever they were on television, we would watch them. We wanted to create a courthouse culture where the Wildcats were honored. So we had children, and the way that you multiply and create culture is you have to have people who are willing to catch what you're teaching. It's caught, not taught, right? So early on, we began to influence our children in this way. So Nathan, when he was just a few months old, got a Kentucky Wildcats onesie. Start them early, people. And that onesie was worn by all of our children. Every Christmas, for as long as we can remember, every member of the courthouse family gets a new Kentucky Wildcats gear, shirt. Now it's turned into sweatshirts. It's getting expensive, people. But it used to be the cheapest T-shirts I could find. We are creating a culture in the courthouse where the University of Kentucky is honored. Now, here's the deal. At this point, Kelly and I have only done addition. There's five of us. But if I want to create a living legacy of the courthouse honoring the University of Kentucky, I have to influence the next generation. So now I am trying to figure out, planning now for those far away (laughs) my youngest is here (laughs) far away grandchildren how do I get them 
to root for and wear Kentucky Wildcats gear. When that's happened, the courthouse has begun to create a culture where we honor the Wildcats. I know it's a silly, foolish story. Let me give you one that has a little more spiritual meaning. There was a young man in my youth group back in 1991. He was uh, uh, a senior in high school in 1990, so he was out of high school. Uh, My first year at this church, he was kind of a jerk, all right? He just was a rotten kid. He came just to annoy me to youth group. Somewhere along that year, though, he had a, a spiritual awakening. Had this re- his relationship with Christ was, was born, and he had a life change. But now he was out of high school, and he technically couldn't come any longer. But he was a brand-new Christian, and he wanted to be a part of this church experience. And he said, can I volunteer? And I'm like, sure. I don't know what we're going to have you do because I really didn't like you last year. And you kind of made it difficult, but okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm a pastor. And so I invited this young man to, 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 uh, to help volunteer in youth group. And he showed up faithfully, and his life took off, and he was joining discipleship groups that were just for high school students, but we didn't have anything for him. It was a smaller church, and it was a brand-new youth group experience for me, and so we just had him be a part of this thing. But every night, because he was out of high school, we'd send all the kids home, and then he and I would hang out with his other friend and this other guy, and the four of us would go to IHOP on Route 73 in Berlin. I don't go to IHOP today. I'm 55, all right? That's just not—I would make me sick if I went to IHOP at like 11 o'clock at night on a a Wednesday, but every Wednesday, like 11 o'clock at night, I'd be sitting in this IHOP, and we'd be having spiritual conversations with this 19-year-old kid. He was going to college, and he wasn't sure what he wanted to do, and eventually he says in the next, sometime during the next year, I think I want to be a pastor, and I'm like, okay, that'd be, that's exciting. Let me help you with that, and so he ended up going off to college. So today, he's a pastor of a church in North Jersey. He's actually a pastor of a multi-campus church his church his campus is a little bit bigger than mine you would think that would make me jealous except that he often texts me and will tell me about spiritual moments in his church and he'll say get this he'll say i'm making grandkids for you isn't that exciting like this guy caught it right in the ihop a route 73 in berlin where you just get you know like just bad you know, just a step up from fast food, right? Like, in that place, culture was created, this idea of multiplying something. I didn't even know I was doing that. I just was talking about Jesus with a kid, 19-year-old. And he is turning into spiritual grandchildren being born. Jesus tells 12 individuals who somehow it turns into 72 and it turns into hundreds and it turns into thousands and it becomes this worldwide movement. Paul says, Timothy, I've told you these things and you tell them to other people and share them with others because multiplication is the way the church is going to be built. And I know that addition is easier. It's easier to learn. It's easier to practice. And I think the reason in the church it's easier and the reason it happens is because the pastor can do it. Addition can happen. It only takes one person to do addition. But multiplication, 
Multiplication is difficult. It requires multiple people to do multiplication. That's a reason why I never like to do anything alone. Part of it is the way I'm wired. I just don't like being alone. I like being around people. I just like people. And so I don't, I, I just like to be with other people. And so that's why whenever I'm doing things, especially I love setup and I love all that stuff because I get to do stuff with people. Today I was helping, uh, uh, Matt and I were putting a screen up and then I was doing, I was doing, I don't usually do stage. I try to avoid that because that's the only really hard work of this stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but Adam needed help and so I was helping Adam do stage. Next thing I'm sweating. I was like, I don't want to do that. That's a step beyond for me is sweating. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah. I, I love doing those kind of things. I love being with people. I love being around people. The church is better when we're multiplying, when we're with others, when we're working together as teams, when we can create multiplication cultures. And so it begs the question, who are you influencing? And that our work is not done until another person is able to make disciples of others what kind of investment are we making in others what kind of investment are we making at work and at school and at church and at home i can tell you that as this as this campus we're making an investment uh i was uh, i shared this last week but i'm gonna share it again in this context uh i was at the uh, uh santa comes to mount laurel event here in um uh, in this building, in this space, and they have it set up with all different crafts, and there's hundreds of kids running around, and there's, there's, they're making reindeer uh, food, which is, what is, I forget, what's in reindeer food? Oatmeal, glitter, right, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff, and so there's glitter everywhere, and, and there, it's just a mess in here, and there's Santa is a rock star over here, and you have pictures with Santa, there's music playing, and there's people all over the place, and the township puts this event on, and there's township staff all over the place doing their thing, and, and some hope people came over, and we were volunteering to be part of it. And uh, I, was, I was there with somebody, and there was some new staff people that I didn't know, and so he was introducing me to some staff people and saying, hey, this is, do you know, do you know Pastor Rick? This is Pastor Rick. And, uh, and then he would say, this is so-and-so, and I'd say, nice to meet you. And then he would say, he'd say, he's the pastor of hope. You know the church that helps us all the time. It's like, is that what we wanted to be? Right? We wanted to be a church that was an asset to the community. And here he is introducing me. I mean, I couldn't have done it better if I had it on a business card. You know, hope we're the church that is always helping out. So what if we could multiply that? What if that wasn't just something that people in the township building across the street knew about us? What if that were multiplied so that our neighbors knew that hope was the place that was helping out? That the people that we work with knew about hope as a place that can help out. What would it look like if we were to multiply that? And so that leads us to a second question I wanna, want you to leave you with to answer. is It's not just who are you influencing, but how is your influence? because the reality is we're all influencing 
how are you influencing? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. And then he says, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Now, Timothy was this young pastor, and so he probably was talking, Paul was talking about chronologically, he was telling him, hey, don't let people think less of you because you're young. But along with chronological age, there's also a an experiential piece as well. And so it's possible that as Paul is saying is, he's telling Timothy that, you know, don't let them think less of you just because you don't have the same experience as those other people do. I have often heard people in church say, I can't talk about Jesus. I'm brand new at this. What if they have questions I can't answer? I don't know the Bible the way I should. So if they ask me questions about the Bible, I'm not going to be able to answer those questions. I mean, I'm brand new at this myself. I can't do that. Paul says we can be an influence in what we say, in the way we live, in our love and our faith. And our purity. So let me offer you three challenges, three ideas, that, uh, three things you can remember throughout the week as you're thinking about your influence. The first one is follow the leader. Follow the leader. If we're going to be an influence in the people who we see every day at work, at school, in church, in our communities, We've got to be the real deal. We've got to be the real deal at home and at work and at church and in our communities. Our lives actually have to be permeated with the ways of Jesus if we're going to lead and benefit other people through our influence. So what we say, our words, as Paul tells Timothy, really matter. And our words can bring life. And we know that there are other times that our words may do less than that. So the words we say and the way we live is our life a reflection of what Jesus has done in our hearts. I'm fascinated by that break room story. I would love to know how many break room conversations took place before a young guy in his 20s could say to a gentleman who was older than that, hey, my girlfriend and I want to go to church, and I know you do. I would love to know how that conversation came to be. All the steps that had gone on in between there. How many times they stood at the microwave warming up their lunches and ended up in a conversation that eventually led to, I want to go to church. I believe I should go to church. My girlfriend and I want to try church. But we don't know where to go, and I know you do. Maybe it had something to do with this. Maybe that guy who was influencing in ways he was unaware of, maybe he was noticing that there were moments when there were just, it just wasn't Jesus culture in the room. 
There were folks who were gossiping. There were folks who were, who were just, just creating a negative atmosphere. What if he was just doing his best to change the atmosphere? By his words, by his actions. What if he just said, you know what? There needs to be more Jesus in this space, and I'm going to create it somehow. What if he just saw that something was lacking? And that was enough to change what was going on in that space. And that became a witness. It became enough that that gentleman saw something different in his coworker. So follow the leader. Second one is love well. Do people feel safe, cared for, and valued when you're around? Do you take the time to listen and get to know them? When people tangibly experience care and safety because of our presence, we're showing them the love of Jesus. So love well. And the third one is serve extravagantly. Serving is our faith put into action. When Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples how much he loved them, he chose to serve them extravagantly. Serving, someone said, serving is choosing to prefer others over ourselves by using the resources of our lives for their benefit. And then Paul ends this weird thing in Timothy in these, that verse. It's up on the screen again. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And I had to pause there just because I want to make sure that you guys recognize that it's not suggesting we need to be pure because then we'd all have to say, well, I'm out, right? That word could be translated integrity, When what we say and how we live is consistent. When our love and our faith match our words and our actions, then we're living pure lives. And again, I have to imagine what was it like in this office every day what was going on that would lead this young 20-something to notice something different about this man's life? I would say it was that his words and his actions were matching, that his love and his faith matched his words and actions, that he was living this life of integrity. And I suggest that the world will notice that, that others will be blessed by it at our works and our homes and our communities and our churches. So let's get better at multiplying. I'm not good at it. I prefer addition. I agree. Addition is easier. But multiplication is our challenge. It's the way the church is going to uh, exponentially change the world. 
So we need to invite someone to join us. Whatever it is you're doing, if you're cleaning up from coffee, invite someone to join you. You're not trying to make your job easier. You're actually making it more difficult, all right? I understand that, all right? But that's the idea is we're inviting someone to join us, all right? Uh, there, there's this great, uh, I went to a, a leadership seminar in uh, Harrisburg uh, back in August. And while I was there, this guy did a talk, and it, I, it was the greatest thing because he said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to talk about something that everybody in the room is going to say you've heard before. And he said, but I want you to pause and listen all the way to the end because I believe you only do 95% of it. And so he had me hooked, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And it was so good that he did it because as soon as he put it up on the screen, I went, oh, my goodness, I've heard this a thousand times. In church world, you hear things over and over and over again. And he said, this is what we need to do to improve and increase. And he was talking about volunteers and those kinds of things in the church. And he says this, he says, the first thing is, I do, you watch. All right, how many people have heard this thing that I'm about to say now, right? No? All right, you start out, I do, you watch. And then the second step is, we, oh, oh, I do, you watch, we talk about it. The second step is, we do it together, we talk about it. See where I'm going with this, right? And then the next step is, you do it, I watch, we talk about it. Right? You've heard this before. It's all that idea of, I'm gonna, you're going to get someone, you're going to apprentice someone, you're going to mentor someone, that's going to be great. And then he says, and that's where we stop. And he says, there's one more step. You do it, and you bring someone else along to do it with you, and you talk. And then he says, and I go find somebody else. I was like, he's talking about 2 Timothy 2 too. Timothy, I've told you these things. I want you to tell someone else. And I want that trustworthy person that you tell to tell someone else as well. And we can have an exponentially growing worldwide movement. And I believe that is still the case. That is still the truth for the church in Mount Laurel called Hope. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so, God, I pray that the men and women in this room, that we would be inspired, that we would be challenged. God, that our desire would be to multiply our faith. That we would create a culture, God, that where, where you are honored, where, 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 where Jesus is proclaimed, where we recognize and are aware that it's only through Jesus that we have salvation in you. That we can be forgiven. And God, that we will not settle for addition. But God, we will want multiplication. That we will want men and women to be, to be hearing about these truths. And God, that they would teach them to others and that they would, again, teach them to others as well. God, that we would create a movement. That we would see the world changed around us before our very eyes. God, don't let us settle. God, inspire us and challenge us and move us. And God, we will... Be grateful. We are grateful for the work you've done in our lives and for the work that we will see you continue to do through us. And we thank you for all these things and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great day.